Have you ever opened the door at home and instantly known something terrible has happened? Am I the only one to have this happen before? You just open the door and the smell instantly just overwhelms you? This last fall, I unfortunately experienced this. I walked in and I knew it was going to be a terrible evening. I walk across the house to the dog kennel and I see, let's just call it a runny mess all over the kennel. And the bad part was the dog was not in the kennel. Somebody had come over and and let the dog outside and so there's just mess everywhere. And so honestly, I I start to clean. Unfortunately for me, Danielle conveniently happened to be gone that night. So I'm by myself on my hands and knees scrubbing this And as I'm scrubbing, I begin to look up, and I realize at some point, Crosby began to try and dig his way out of the kennel, which means there was six foot high worth of splatter across the entire room. And you could see the exact path that he took out the door because he left perfect tail prints on the hallways and on the cabinets all the way out the door. Sounds fun, right? So I'm cleaning this mess, and I'm just telling myself, Crosby is a good dog. Crosby is a cute dog. Having a dog is worth having a mess, right? And I may have been saying this over and over again, but I can't say for sure that I actually believed it in this moment. But it was also another moment in my life that God kind of clicked that light bulb for me, and I realized it's something he was trying to teach me once again, something he's been trying to teach me for many years. And it's that good things can come out of messes. Good things can come out of messes. As dogs, as you know, being messy and dogs are not exclusive. Like, if you have a dog, there are moments of mess. And I can say now, having Crosby is worth cleaning up a mess, even if I didn't believe it in that moment. But God has been teaching me this, and I often find in the experiences of my own life that God is most present and most glorified in the messiest parts of my own life. That he is all the more present in those moments. And this morning, we're going to look at John chapter 9 together and how Jesus makes a literal mess and the good that comes out of it. And as much as we don't like to go through difficult times in our life, we know that God is trying to teach us things in the midst of it. So let's read starting in John 9, verse 1 together. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and washed, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. 
May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. As I read this passage and as God has been working in me the last few weeks, we're going to find four truths about the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus from this story of the man born blind. And whether this is your first time in church or whether you've been here your whole life, I would really encourage you to lean in this morning and allow God to speak to your heart. As the beautiful thing about this passage is it speaks to people on various spiritual levels. And so let's lean in and see what God has to say to us this morning. The first truth that is revealed in this passage is the simplicity of the gospel. The simplicity of the gospel. In verse 1 it says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. This may not seem like much, but while so many have walked by and maybe looked at the man, Jesus stops and really sees him. And we learn later in the story, this is a man's normal spot to stop and beg. He's there every day. As I read how simple it is that Jesus saw the man, I can't help but also compare it to the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. Jesus tells a story of a man who was beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And a priest and a Levite go by, they see him, and they go on the other side of the road. Two men who should have, hopped, should have helped, but they didn't have the time or the desire to help this man. But then you have his arch enemy, a Samaritan, stop and help. He saw the man and could not simply just walk on by. It also makes me think of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Jesus sees this woman at the well drawing water, but she was an outcast in society for her many relationships that she had had with many different men. And Jesus meets her where she is. In both of these stories with the woman at the well and the man beaten on the side of the road, it's not that people didn't look at them, but we learned the simple truth from Jesus. To really see someone in need should lead to action. To really see someone in need should lead to action. And I was reminded of this in February or in January. It was a Friday and I was doing the self-checkout at Walmart. I do my best when I go to Walmart. Most of the time I'm in my pajamas, so please don't judge me. But I do my best to keep my head down, not look people in the eyes, and just get out of there as fast as I can. I'm sure many of you are with me. But I'm doing the self-checkout and all of a sudden I hear this lady just like yelling and screaming by the front door. She's just yelling. She's screaming for some guy named Ronnie. She was not happy with Ronnie. And there were many, let's just say, choice words coming from this lady's mouth at the front door of Walmart. So finally, I get done, and I put my head down, and I just walk by the lady. It's like, I got no time for you. I'm just, I'm getting out of here. She's just still yelling about Ronnie. And I get almost all the way out the door, and then God very kindly, not so subtly, smacks me in the face as the night before our small group had met, it was during our Won't You Be My Neighbor series, and we had just talked about seeing people the way that Jesus saw tax collectors and the outcasts of the world. And the Holy Spirit basically said, how dare you be a part of a discussion last night and not even be willing to talk to this lady this morning? So I about-faced, I went back into Walmart, and it was interesting as I walked in, back in, the amount of people that are just staring at this lady. There had to have been a couple dozen people just around the store as I walk in, just staring at her. So I go up and I talk to her, and I found out she was looking for a guy named Ronnie. And this Ronnie was an older guy. He was wearing a green jacket. And this lady was in a wheelchair and obviously needed help. So I said, here's what I'll do. I'll go, I'll go see if I can find Ronnie, the older guy, green jacket. So I kid you not, for 30 minutes, I walk around Walmart 
trying to find Ronnie. That means every older guy in a green jacket, I'm walking up, uh, are you Ronnie by chance? Nope. I'm going to the bathrooms. Is there any Ronnies in here? Nope, no Ronnie. 30 minutes, I'm walking around asking every old guy in a green jacket. You know what's amazing? There are a lot of old guys with green jackets. <laughs> I did not realize. I don't know what it is, but old guys, they love their green jackets. 30 minutes later, thankfully, I run into this lady, and she has found Ronnie. I'm so thankful that she found Ronnie. I just wish she would have told me Ronnie was not wearing a green jacket, but the jacket was actually blue. So be it, whatever. I'm just happy she found Ronnie, and I'm just thankful for the opportunity that I had to wander around Walmart for a half an hour. And honestly, who knows what will happen if we choose to see people like Jesus does. I think if we can just open our eyes to see people and willing to act, you will be surprised at what happens. And sometimes it'll lead to wandering around Walmart for 30 minutes. But God has called us to really see people in need should lead to action. And I also don't want to move on without saying this. Some of you may not think that Jesus sees you, but he does. Jesus sees each and every one of you sitting in this room this morning. He sees exactly who you are. He does not ignore you because you think you're too far gone. He does not see all that you've gone through and simply say, yeah, I'm out, peace. The simple foundation of the gospel is that Jesus sees each and every one of us and didn't choose to walk on by, but he chose to meet us where we were at and chose to save us. That's the good news of Jesus. And the other way we see the simplicity of the gospel is through the man's response within the story. Three times in this passage, the man is asked to testify as to what happened to him as the Pharisees and the rulers, they're upset with Jesus. They're, they're trying to trap him. And the first interrogation happens in verse 11. So they asked him what happened. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Again, they ask him, and he responds in verse 15. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. And then finally again in verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. The man's story is very simple. I was blind, I met Jesus, and now I can see. A very simple testimony of what Jesus has done. I think for us, so many of us are scared or don't really feel like we, we have a testimony to share, but we don't need to complicate it. Here's who I was, then I met Jesus, and here's who I am now. And we have no idea that the influence your story can have on the people around you, the influence it could have for the kingdom of God. I really believe the second greatest story ever told is the story of what God is doing in your life and in my own. The second truth we find in this passage is the mess for the gospel. The mess for the gospel. The man's story is messy. I mean, he had been, he'd been blind his entire life, and tradition would suggest that most every person believed he was blind because either of his own sin or because of the sin of his parents. And culture back then was way different than today. The man is very much on his own. I mean, he's sitting on the side of the road begging for whatever he can get. There's no people, there's no foundation to take care of this man's need. He's alone 
trying to get whatever he can. His survival is based on the scraps of other people who walk by. And from the first encounter with this man, there's a fascinating conversation that happens between Jesus and the disciples. It starts in verse two. His disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So basically his disciples ask, why? Why is this man blind? And Jesus responds with something that I think is incredibly important in verse three. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And while the disciples are focused on, on why this happened, Jesus is asking the question of how can we bring glory to God in the midst of this situation? It wasn't the man's sin. It wasn't the parent's sin. And it's not that God made him blind. But we learn that Jesus shows us in every situation, no matter how messy, we have an opportunity to bring glory to God in the midst of the mess. We see a similar example just a few chapters later in John 11 in the death of Lazarus. 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 Verse 4, it says, when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Here's the point of what Jesus is trying to say. Why something happens is secondary to how it can be used for the kingdom. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it less painful, but God can be glorified in any and every situation we find ourselves in. We see this play out in the woman at the well that we talked about. After she left Jesus, John 4 states, she went and told all of her town and all of her neighbors about Jesus. And it says, many people believed because of her testimony. In spite of her sin, in spite of the mess of her life, she chose to bring glory to God and many people came to know him because of it. The third truth we find here in this passage is the cost of the gospel. The cost of the gospel. Following Jesus costs this man. Once the Pharisees heard what has happened, they wanted to investigate as they aren't happy with what Jesus did, mainly because he did this on the Sabbath, a day where no work was to be done. And what work was done, you may ask? Jesus made mud. Specifically, Jesus spit. Spitting on the Sabbath was against the law. And now this man who was blind is now on trial to testify against Jesus. As they interrogate him, the leaders honestly don't like the answer the man is, is giving and threaten to kick the man out of the temple. And during this time, anyone who confesses Jesus as the Christ was excommunicated from the temple. Doesn't sound too terrible. I'll just go to the temple around the corner, right? Well, it is very terrible. He would not be able to just go find another temple to worship at. It means he would be cut off from all social, religious, and economic connections. Even though now this man who was blind and who was begging on the side of the road for all he can get, he can now see, and he would be even more so left to his own. And eventually the Jews bring this man's parents in to see if they would back up his story. And here's what his parents say in verse 20. It says, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how we can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. They admit, yes, he is our son, but we want no part of saying how or who opened his eyes. 
they're essentially hanging their own son out to dry so they don't get excommunicated themselves. And eventually the Pharisees go after the man blind after their encounter with the parents. They honestly aren't looking for the truth anymore. They just want the man to conform. They just want Jesus. They want him to admit that he spit and he broke the law on the Sabbath. But he is not willing to do so. And in verse 34, they finally kick the man out because of his faith. The fact is, following Jesus should cost you something. I'm reminded of this well within our 18 to 25 ministry. We meet every Sunday night and study and we have fun, we play games, but there are a couple people who shared basically they've lost all of their close friends that they had from high school. While all of their friends are off living the way they want and just choosing to, to run their own lives, they have made a decision to take their faith seriously. To take their relationship with Jesus seriously even if it costs them those relationships. And trust me, seeing the hurt in their eyes, you realize how much the gospel and the good news of Jesus really has cost them. But the good news about that story is just two weeks ago, one of them talked about the doors that are now, years later, being opened to have some real serious conversations about Jesus. Because of their faithfulness and their commitment to God, God is doing some incredible things that these, their former friends are now seeing. Something is different about these people, and I want to know why. And it's amazing. The last thing we find in this passage is the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel. Now this month, month, I experienced a glimmer of hope when it came to my March Madness bracket. Some of you guys are probably in the same boat. After Friday, I was doing so well. I mean, I got a picture of the right side of my bracket, the first round. Look at this. I only got one wrong on the entire right side. I was, thank you, Luke. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. I was so proud of myself. I was like, I got this in the back. Staff were having a competition that's worth prizes. I told all of our 18 to 25ers, hey, whoever can beat me, I will buy a gift card. Every single person that beats me, I will give them a gift card. I wasn't gonna go owe anybody anything. It was amazing. Until it wasn't. As you can see, I only missed one the first round, and I only got three right the entire rest of the time. And with our 18 to, tw- I'm, I'm in like last place as a staff, and with our 18 to 25ers, I'm beating three people, the three people who forgot to hit submit on their bracket. If anybody would like to give to my gift card fund for the 18 to 25ers, I'll be in the lobby after church. You can help me out there. But thankfully, the hope of the gospel is a little more reliable than the hope of my bracket. And this man is a great example of what it looks like to hold on to that hope of the gospel. As we said, the man ended up on trial and eventually was kicked out because of his stance on Jesus. And he did all of this without ever physically seeing Jesus. Remember, Jesus made the mud, put it on his eyes, and sent him away to be washed. He never actually saw Jesus before he deals and struggles with all these things and eventually is kicked out of the temple. But during this, this, this man's progression of, of his answers, we see the hope in his life. The first time the Pharisees question him, he calls Jesus the man they call Jesus. So he's just a man. To verse 17, it says he is a prophet. And finally, in verse 33, he says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So he goes from man to a prophet to someone from God. 
all without physically seeing Jesus. And then we find in verse 35, the miracle behind the miracle. Jesus heard that he had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? So now, instead of Jesus just happening to see this man as he walks him by, Jesus is seeking the man out. He goes looking for him. This was no accident that Jesus found him. And Jesus asked if he believes, and in verse 38, the man says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. As big of a miracle it is for someone who was physically blind to now see, more importantly, this man who was spiritually blind now sees Jesus for who he is, and that's the Lord. He's not just a man, he's not just a prophet, he's just not someone from God, but he is Lord. His spiritual eyes are now opened to the reality of who Jesus is. And here's why this story is so important. Some of you sitting here this morning are blind. Some of us sitting here this morning are blind, and you need to know that God sees you. In the middle of your trials, in the middle of your pain, Jesus sees you for who you are and loves you. There's nothing you can do now to change how God feels about you, and it won't change, change because Jesus has already paid the price for you. God has already sent his son to die for you and for me. We just have to be willing to submit and accept the gift that God so freely wants to give you. Some of us in here are blind, and you think you can see. You, you think you follow Jesus, but you are comfortable in your, in your box, and you follow the rules. I go to church on Sunday. I may even drop a few dollars in the offering box. And guess what? The Pharisees and the rulers in this day, they thought they could see too, but Jesus says in the end, oh no, you are in fact blind. Have you fully submitted your life to following Jesus and what he wants from you? As in everything, no holding back, are you willing to let your faith cost you something instead of just sitting back comfortably saying, yeah, Jesus, he's my homeboy? Others of you, you can see. But I think just like in the story, Jesus is challenging you to lean in more to your mess. Allow God to be glorified in your story and allow yourself to get a little bit messy as you enter into other people's story. For a moment, I want us to think about the darkest room you've ever been in. Think about the darkest space you've ever been. For me, I was in a deep cave in the hills of Tennessee. It was the second largest natural underground cavern, uh, I think, in the world. And when they, we, it took like a solid 30 to 45 minutes to hike and to get through places I didn't think I could get through to get to the back part of this tunnel. And when they turned out the lights, it was crazy how dark this, this spot was. I, I literally felt blind. You could not see your hand in front of your face. You could see nothing. But do you know what helped me not feel so blind? Light. In John 9, Jesus says, I am the light of a world. And I think if we think about light in the simplest of ways as possible, I think what light does is it is, is exposes our need for light. Light simply exposes our need for light. The fact is we could not survive without light. In reality, that is what Jesus does for you and that is what Jesus does for me. He exposes my need for him. In the midst of my pain, in the midst of my sin, in my, my, my 
the things I just don't get right. As much as I want to follow Jesus, Jesus doesn't condemn me. He doesn't judge me. He says, no, you need me and come to me. I want you to. The light exposes our need for light. And Jesus does not come to judge and condemn. He comes to tell us, you need me. And I am here for you and I gave up everything for you. Friends, we need Jesus. God made the story of the man born blind challenge us this morning. Whether we need to open our eyes for the first time ever, God, we need to realize that no, we are in fact blind, or maybe we see, and it's time to lean in and start being moved to action when we see people in need being willing to get a little bit messy. God, help us to take steps towards you. Because God, we need you. But thank you for sending your son Jesus, who is the light of the world and that we can have hope in a future because of him. And it's in his powerful, mighty name that we pray.